Okay, uh, tonight we're finishing up chapter three um, on about the uh, congr- or the message to the uh, uh, church at Laodicea. And uh, it begins in verse 14, Revelation, Revelation chapter three, verse 14. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, you might want to open up there. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So Laodicea is one of the only church that Jesus had nothing good to say about. There was nothing, you know, no, okay, you're doing pretty good here, but you need over here. It was... There was just nothing good to say about it. And, and when I, we were talking about this on Monday at the school, is when you read the book of Galatians, you'll, when you read through it, you see that when Paul's addressing them, he doesn't go through those pleasantries like he does when he's written, writing the other congregations, like when he wrote Thessal- those in Thessalonica or, or the Ephesians. I mean, he talks about praying for them and, and talks about their faith. But when you read the book of Galatians, it's all business with Paul. I mean, he goes right into it. I marvel that you so soon move to another gospel, which is another gospel. I mean, he just, one thing after the other. And the same thing here in in Jesus talking to the church of Laodicea. And I think there's a lesson in that for you and I. You know, because when when we're going to talk with someone, usually how do we approach them? Cautiously, any other way? We sort of sneak up on the problem, don't we? You know, we don't we don't want to offend them. We don't we don't want to say anything that 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 you know might cause them to turn away from the Lord. Uh, here, Jesus and Paul, they were pretty abrupt. And, and the point being, if you turn over to um, Jude. And um, I think it's about verse 23, if I remember. No, 22. On some, and on some have compassion, making a distinction. But others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. 
So here Jude talks about some people, I mean, you, you deal with their situation and you, you, you're compassionate to their woes or their problems or how they got into that situation. But sometimes it comes to the point that you have to be firm. You have to grab them by the collar, get their attention, and try to pull them from that path that they're walking on. And I think that's the situation here in Laodicea as it was in Galatia. That they were going down a path and they were headlong into that path. And the Lord says, I got to grab you. And Paul says, I got to grab you. Because if I don't grab you, if I don't get your attention, it's not going to end up well. Marvin? Well, obviously the Bible says we're to judge righteous judgment. And I, and I think I understand what you're getting at. You know, this isn't something we do with everyone. But when a person is on that path and we're down to, you know, either you're going to go with God or you're going with the devil, sometimes we have to be firm. And Jude says that. Snatch that person from the fire. And I think we have a biblical example of here. Do we do that with every person? Of course not. Of course not. That's what, not what I'm saying. But sometimes we have to get people's attention. And we have to be abrupt. We have to be truthful. We have to come from a biblical standpoint and not beat around the bush and not namby-pamby around where they're at. But this is the facts of it. And if you don't change, you're probably going to end up in hell. I mean, that's just the way that it is. And we're sometimes, I mean, very afraid to do that, even when we know that that's the case. Because we don't want to hurt their feelings. We'd rather not hurt their feelings and see them go to hell. Isn't that the truth? Sure, we've all done it. We've all done it. Rather than just say, hey, this is not right. And who do, we who do we tend to do it mostly with? Relatives. Family. Family. Don't want to break up the family. Don't want to cause tension in family. And so here Jesus, he's not, he's not beating around the bush with them. He says, I worked that you were rather hot or cold. I'd rather, and I don't think Jesus is saying there that he'd rather that they be cold but I think Homer Haley says that when he says that, it's just a, a, a phrase of deep regret. And, and another writer said that, that Jesus is looking at them, and, and if you've ever heard a lesson on, on Laodicea, they talk about apathy. They're neither cold nor hot. And, and one writer said that here's Jesus, he, he was so frustrated with them because they didn't take him seriously. They didn't take him seriously enough to be against him, nor did they take him seriously enough to be for him. They could just care less either way. We ever meet anyone like that? Probably 90% of the world that we meet is like that. Yeah. They, they say, well, I know Jesus, 
but they don't take him seriously enough to, to obey him, to do what he says. And then others, they don't take him seriously enough to, to you know, try to disprove him. They just don't care, one way or another. And that was the problem there. They did not care one way or another. Didn't matter to them. And, and you think, who's he writing to? He's writing to Christians. Man, that'd be hard to read that, wouldn't it? Hard to read it. You know, if it said the church at South Florida or the church at Bartow or the church at Auburndale, you're neither cold nor hot. So anyway, uh, the city, give you some background on the city. It was named, a king named it after his wife. Her name was Laodike, and so he named the city uh, Laodicea. Uh, it suffered a major earthquake about uh, in A.D. 62. This would have been about eight years before the destruction of Jerusalem. And it was rebuilt by its wealthy citizens. They didn't ask Rome for anything. They financed it themselves. And, and that's one of the arguments for a late date. Because, you know, when Jesus is talking about here they're rich and things like that, that it doesn't seem likely that it, the city that was devastated that much would have been able to rebuild itself to that extent before A.D. 70 in a matter of eight years or less. And so that's one of the evidences for a late date. Uh, it was famous for this black wool that came from this particular type of sheep uh, that they shepherded there. They had flocks of them there. I don't know what kind of sheep it was. Uh, they also had this um, powder that they made uh, and it was some kind of well-known eye powder. It was called Phrygian powder. Uh, in the vicinity uh, there was a, a renowned school of medicine. Uh, it was also had great uh, banking um, operations. So you know, financially, it was, you know, set. Um, medicinally, I mean, a well-known school, you know, scientifically, here's knowledge. Uh, they had these great sheep that everybody valued their wool, plus they had this eye salve. Uh, so, you know, they, they had everything. They had everything. Everything that, that we as human beings could want. Good doctors, lots of money, nice clothes. Isn't that about what 90% of our fellow human beings want out of life? There you go. There you go. The only problem with the city that was sort of a, a negative aspect on it, it didn't have any fresh water nearby. And so they had to, they had to bring their water in in an aqueduct from a mineral springs that was about, uh, let's see if I have, about six miles away. Any ever, anybody ever been to a mineral springs? Did you ever taste the water? It's got a lot of, of minerals in. You know, I, I, I don't know, I was thinking, did you ever taste uh, water out of an artesian well? Yeah. I mean, after you get used to it, you don't even notice it. But the first time, what does it smell like? Well, rotten eggs. <laughs> but that's what it is, sulfur. So anyway, they, they aqueducted this water in. And by the time it got to the city, it wasn't hot anymore. 
but nor was it cold. And one writer said about 99% of the people, the first time they drank that water, immediately threw up because of all the minerals and it's just lukewarm and stuff. And so that was, that was the city. So uh, here Jesus says, uh, he says that I am the, uh, the faithful, true witness. He says, I am the amen, the faithful and true witness. Uh, the word amen obviously is a so be it and a, af a strong affirmation uh, that he is the faithful and true witness. Um, and the beginning of the creation of God. And that beginning may suggest, well, of course we know in John 1, uh, 1 through 3, Jesus uh, by him all things were made that were made. John chapter 1 verse 3. Um, and Colossians 1 verse 15 through 18 talks about Jesus creating. But this idea of the beginning of the creation of God may suggest that he's the uncaused first cause. You know, he, he is the, the uncaused first cause of of what um, everything that was or is. Uh, spiritually, Jesus said about them that they were wretched, they were miserable, they were poor, they were blind, and they were naked. Now, wait a minute. They had those great sheep with that fine wool. They had banking industries well known for being rich, so rich, that when the city was destroyed by an earthquake, they built the city within its, using their own finances in the city. Also, they had this famous eye salve that was known throughout the Roman world. But yet Jesus said they were poor, they were wretched, they were miserable, they were poor, they were blind, and they were naked. You think Jesus is being a little ironic here? Because they had, thought they had everything. Not one good thing does the Lord say about the church. But he knows their works. They're lukewarm. They're neither hot nor cold. Um, we talked about that. He tells them to, in his exhortation, to buy refined gold from the Lord. You think they knew anything about gold? But now he tells them to buy refined gold. What's the difference between gold and refined gold? When something's refined, what does that mean? All the impurities is taken out. So what's essentially Jesus telling them? Look at Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 21. Somebody read it. Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 21. <clears throat> So what's Jesus essentially telling them? Got your priorities wrong, lay up treasures in heaven, you better start focusing on spiritual things rather than material things. Hey, we got all this gold, we're the richest town in the area. He goes on, he says, buy white garments that the shame of their nakedness may not be revealed. Well, they had all this fine wool. I mean, they had access to that, you know. 
And Jesus seems to be saying here, even with all this that you have and these fine clothes and everything, there's going to come a time when that's not going to help you and you're going to be as if you're naked. Look at Galatians chapter 3, 26 and 27. Somebody have it? Okay. So here, Paul says that as many of us who have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And that literally means to clothe ourselves with Christ, like he's a garment that we put on. And so here's Jesus telling them, you're putting all this confidence in, in this wool and these fine clothes that can be made of it, but that's not going to help you into the day of judgment. You better clothe yourself, how does he say it, with white garments, pure garments. And the only way they're going to do that is following Jesus Christ. They may have been baptized, but they sure haven't clothed themselves with Christ by the way they're living. They've put him off sometime in the past. And then thirdly, he says to anoint your eyes with eye salve that they might truly see. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Carl, let someone else in that back row read this time. <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. So here's Paul talking about those who the world has blinded them. And, and they can't appreciate, they can't see, they won't embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus tells them, anoint your eyes so you can see. They were blinded to the fact that they were wretched, they were poor, they were miserable, and all those things that Jesus said. They thought, oh man, we're in great shape. Well, sometimes we're blind to our faults, aren't we? We're blind to our condition. So Jesus says he rebuked them because he loved them. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten or discipline. You have a footnote in the New King James. Therefore be zealous and repent. The word that Jesus uses there for love is not the agape love that we would think most likely he would use, a love that that wants the best for another, a godly love, an intellectual love, we might say. Uh, but it's a phileo love, a, a brotherly love, in, in which in this case, it expresses that Jesus has a tenderness to them, or for them. Even in their condition, he, he's concerned about them, he's concerned about their welfare, uh, he's concerned about where they're at, and because he's concerned, he has this tender affection for them, He's pretty blunt with them. So like Marvin was saying here, you know, we want to be careful. We don't want to do that because it seems as if we're judging. But if we don't snatch that person from the fire, do we really love them? Do we really have a tender affection for them? The easy thing to do is to say nothing, isn't it? 
Just don't get hot, don't get cold. Just do nothing. So Jesus, he wanted them to be aware of that. He wanted them to realize that they needed to be zealous and repent. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. Uh, so he tells them, open the door, let me in. The thing we learn from that is Jesus isn't going to force himself into our lives. If we don't want him with in our lives, he's not going to force himself in. He doesn't like standing on the outside. He doesn't want to stand on the outside. He desires all to come to repentance, all to come to faith. But if we choose not to open the door to our hearts, he's not going to force his way in. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. If we want fellowship with God, fellowship with Christ, we have to let him in. And to him who overcomes or prevails, he said he would grant to sit with him on his throne as he also overcame or prevailed and sat with his father on his throne. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, we read, uh, This is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. So we see this idea that we'll prevail with Jesus. The one who prevails uh, will reign as kings together with him. Uh, the fellowship here on earth, pictured as dining together, would be consummated in a fellowship, an eternal fellowship in heaven. And he says that, um, uh, of course, Christ prevailed and died on the cross as, the, uh, as victory over the cross. He then ascended to heaven, sat down at the right hand of God, and all who prevail will sit be with him throughout heaven for eternity. So we see these five, uh, seven churches. And only good is spoken of of Smyrna and Philadelphia, uh, Ephesus, Pergus, Pergamus, Thyatira, and Sardis. Both good and bad are spoken of. Laodicea only had bad spoken of it. Sardis had, even though it was dead, it had a faithful remnant. Um, some erroneous thoughts or methods that sometimes we as Christians use in determining the soundness of a congregation. Uh, just because a congregation is doing one thing well does not mean that all its works are scriptural. We know that from Ephesus. They were all about standing for the truth, but yet Jesus said that they had left their first love. Just because a congregation endures persecution doesn't necessarily mean that it's true to God. They're at Pergamos, uh, the first martyr there, Antipas. But yet they had that, that was the, uh, 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 how's he word it? Uh, where Satan's throne is. Um, and then because, just because a congregation loves, uh, does not mean that it does not compromise. We think of Thyatira. Uh, he says, I know your works, your love, your service, your faith. Uh, but yet they tolerated the woman Jezebel there and her false teaching. Uh, just because a congregation has a good reputation with other brethren does not mean it's faithful to God. Sardis, Jesus said, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. 
And just because a congregation has wealth and numbers does not mean it was faithful. And we think of Laodicea. So we want to make sure as a congregation of the Lord's people that, that we are the Lord's people, that we're doing what he would have us to do, that we're doing it in the way that we have it, he would have us to do uh, to the best of our ability. Uh, we can want to be careful we don't use, lose our first love. Uh, we want to be careful that we are still a light to the world and that we don't lose that uh, as we sometimes sit on our past and uh, what we've done in the past. Uh, some things that as we read through about these congregations, uh, the Lord desires the following characteristics in his congregations. Uh, obedience to his word, zeal, uh, endurance against opposition, soundness in doctrine, uh, tirelessness in labor, uh, courage in the face of persecution and or death. A loving attitude, a confident trust in God, a desire to serve the needs of others, growth, holiness, a refusal to tolerate false teaching, a willingness to discipline the wayward, and to practice self-evaluation. So that ends chapter 2 and, th two and 3, uh, where John, Jesus has John write to the seven churches of Asia. Uh, as I said, I think that it was much broader than those seven churches uh, because he ends to each one in the spirit. You know, uh, let him who hear, uh, how does he say it again? Uh, and he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says of the churches. Thank you. Any questions on those two chapters? Yes, sir. Why do I get worried when you start your questions with okay? <laughs> when, when he had John to write to the seven churches, you know, uh, there, there is not one that he would specifically point out. Would he just be like I think you'd need to be like Smyrna. He said only good things about them. He said only good things about Philadelphia. It was the church of an open door. No, not for those two churches. He said only good things. You go to Smyrna in chapter 2. He says, uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 8, And to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, These things, says the first and last, who was dead and came to life, I know your works, your tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be heard in the second death. So he only has good things to say about them. Philadelphia, chapter 3, beginning in verse um, 7. And to the angel at the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength. 
have, for you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet, and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have, that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So Jesus had only good to say about those churches. And, and, and I would say without a doubt that the things that he said about those other churches, he could have said about Philadelphia and Smyrna, the good points of the other churches. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and I think about verse 17, Paul tells uh, Timothy that what he taught in one church, he taught in all churches. Let's see if I can find that, make sure I'm giving you the right verse. <clears throat> yeah, 1 Corinthians 4, 17. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere and in every church. So just because, you know, when Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, he's not addressing some of the things that he addressed in the letter to the Romans or what he addressed to the letter to Thess Thessalonians, doesn't mean he didn't teach that to the Corinthians. Because what he taught in one area, he taught everywhere. It was just in writing these letters that later it became in written form and then thus everyone had access to it. Well, yeah, I think it does say that. Okay. Because he's going to come in judgment one day. Okay, then. <laughs> any man, any man hear my voice and open the door, mm -hmm. I will come in to him. Okay. okay but as a non-Christian person, they would think that, well, uh, he said he's standing the door tonight. He doesn't say that I'll get tired tonight. Well, as long as we're alive, that's obviously true. As long as we're alive, you know, if we're a Christian, we can repent. If we're not a Christian, we can obey the gospel. Yeah, I mean, that's obvious. And so, Well, turn over to Matthew chapter 7. And um, 
read verses 1 through 6. Matthew chapter 7. Somebody read, read verses 1 through 6. You have it, Ken? Stop right there. So what has Jesus said so far? Pardon? Don't judge. Right? That's what he says. We're not to judge in any reason way at all, right? All right, now read verse 7. No, or verse 6, I'm sorry. Okay, so he says not to give what is holy to what? Dogs. Nor to, to give, cast your pearls before swine. How, how can I do that without doing what? Without making a judgment. So if Jesus is saying in chapter 7 verse 1 that we're not to judge in any way, shape, or form, then he's just contradicted himself, hasn't he? Well, yes, he did. He says, don't give what is holy to dogs or cast your pearls before swine. So I have, before I do, give something that is holy to someone or cast something as precious to someone, I'm going to have to determine who's a dog and who's a swine, right? To obey that command of Jesus. So what does that tell us about the judging here? He's not condemning what? All judging. In fact, hold your finger there and turn over to John chapter 7 and verse 24. John chapter 7, verse 24. Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. All right, now this is the same Jesus. First he's telling me don't judge. Then he's telling me to judge so I don't give something precious to someone that could care less about it. And now he's telling me to judge, but when I judge, I have to judge righteous judgment. So what's he talking about in, in chapter, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5? Because everybody on the face of the earth knows Matthew 7, verse 1. You go talking to someone and they think, say they're a Christian or even if they're not a Christian and you start talking to them about the sin in their life or their behavior, what do they say? Don't judge me. Who are you to judge me? And they take you right to that verse. So what's Jesus talking about there? What could he, be, what could he say, don't judge like this, but you can judge like this and you can judge like this? What kind of judgment would be wrong? Well, I mean, obviously unrighteous, but what's unrighteous judgment? What does he talk about here? 
Okay? But also he says, here this guy has got this little piece of sawdust in his eye, and you got this log sticking out of your eye there, and you're condemning him. What does the Bible call that? Hypocrite. <laughs> Hypocrite. Hey, Marvin, you got to quit having that beer on Saturday night. And every Saturday night, I'm down at the bar sloshing them back right and left. But Marvin, you better not have that one beer. Now, obviously, that's, none of that's true. But that's what Jesus is talking about. And you know why Marvin bought those apples? Because he just wanted to show everybody how much better he was than us. <laughs> what do we call that? We're judging his what? His motives. How do you know why a person does what they do? The only thing we can judge is their fruits. Their fruits. And so when we start trying to judge why people do what they do, and we start judging hypocritically, that's what Jesus is talking about there in Matthew chapter 7. But he's not condemning all judging because there in verse 6 he says you've got to make a judgment. You don't give what is holy, what is precious to someone that's not interested in it at all. But along what Marvin said, next week they may be. Next year they may be. Because what happens, what's the one thing for sure in life? It changes, doesn't it? It changes. And you don't know that next week that person might be very receptive to the message of Jesus Christ. But now they're that dog. They're that swan. And they could care less. Years ago, I remember my brother that died. Mom tried to talk to him. I tried to talk to him. He says, I'm still young. I want to have fun. He died in an unsaved re uh, relationship with God. That was his choice. We offered the gospel. He wasn't interested. What can I do? What could we do? What could you have done? Now maybe something might have changed in time that he would have been receptive. And that's the same way with people that you talk now, maybe your neighbors or your family members. They may not be receptive now, but life changes. And when life changes, that's when we should use those opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus with them once again. Don't, and, and that goes back to Jude verse 22. Here's this person who's turned their back on God and you know they've just walked away, but life's changed. And then what do we do? What, what, what do some people do? Going, well, you know, you fell away from the Lord. You turned your back on Jesus and here this person's going through a horrible time in their life. And what do we want to do? We want to snatch them out the fire when at that time we should show some love and compassion because that's what they need. And so, how do I know when to do that? Got to make a judgment. I got to make a judgment. Sometimes you make good judgments, sometimes you don't. But we have to be very careful saying that we can't make a judgment at any time because we make judgments all the time as Christians. But we want to make sure we make righteous judgments. Any other questions? Don't be saying that. What was it you say? <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you for your attention.